Brock. Hello. Hello, hello Brock. Hello, Cam. Hey, good morning. Here you are. Yeah. Good morning. Ah, yes. Mm. Ah, nothing like a good hot cup of Cameron and Brock, our two people, in the morning here as, uh, as you're on your way to work. Uh, uh, I'm playing only the top, top, top hits of the hits here on Cameron and Brock are two people. Uh, the club bangers to, uh, um, to, to, to soothing ballads. So there's no genre. It's just the best of the best. I, I think, no, I'm, I'm probably the least informed person uh, around on this specific topic, but I think the way I see it is that once you get to the top forty, uh, genres have disappeared because now you've you've moved away from every uh, every remaining sort of like fat like faceted sort of culture just into like big C culture where it's just you know what I mean like at at some point popular right. things just sort of like all combine into one melange of wait my volume was too low there we go um some some just giant gray mass of popular thing i mean that's i don't know yeah i i see that but what if the station just played deep tracks from every genre at random i think that would actually be hmm yeah, I think that would actually be distressing for people. I do. I agree. I that I think we should do that. We um, okay. So <laughs> like a, a listener hostile sort of uh, top bottom forty radio station where we're just gonna roll right from like uh, noise punk into like Middle Eastern some like nine minute Middle Eastern like flute song. <laughs> and then look you don't have to listen people straight from that into yanni it's like we're here to to crush your idea that you have a handle on how human culture works through music <laughs> mm. uh, yeah that fits my personality sure yeah that seems a little bit more antagonistic than your personality, although it does match it from a sort of like philosophy standpoint, I guess. Like it'd be satisfying, but at the same time, you'd probably actually feel bad for people the whole time. Mm, yeah. And they, my problem. Also sort of consistent with this podcast. Um, like it's satisfying to spend an hour and a half talking about uh, speaking woe of religions and politics, but I actually feel... For bad, feel bad about it the whole time, so works out. Not bad enough. Not, never bad enough. Never bad enough. Uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You you were sick. We're right, recording this on a on a Wednesday, which is late for us. Yeah, two delays. At least I told you this time. Uh, yeah, I'm all right. I don't know. A little <laughs> bit dragging. <laughs> sounds like uh it sounds like the sickness got to your morale. <laughs> <laughs> it was a morale sickness and a physical illness. Mm. Well, I'm alive. I can speak. These are the requisites. Oh sure. Yeah, no, that's all I ask of you, really. Show up, speak. Um I was sick last week, I think, but um uh, the way that I know that I am sick is other people in my house get sick. And then I sort of like realize I got sick in retrospect. Uh, like I'll, I'll be like, I'm not feeling great. And like yesterday or last Monday, I was feeling sort of weird and I was working from home because they were doing construction at the office. And at about three o'clock in the afternoon, I just fell asleep. <laughs> like I was just down. I was, I was like, I need to lie down for a minute. And then I fell asleep for like two hours. And then I woke up and I felt fine. And then, uh, but then I realized that like one of my kids had, had been sick the day before Shannon got sick the next day. And then my other kid got sick the following day. Um, well, your body's just deficient. It's like a puppy that runs around like it's not tired until it collapses and then just pops up later. Like it's good to go. 
Yeah, well, the denial probably plays a heavy role. Um, the extreme dislike of being sick, uh, for sure. Oh, is it is it anything specific? Are you one of those people that the idea of throwing up is so abhorrent that you will pretend like it's not happening? Um, I definitely do not like throwing up, and will go. I I have I will be. I am one of the people who like. I'll know that I could if I like switched to my mindset and it would probably speed things along. What with your body, you know, that's a biological need at some point, but no, I, I tend, I tend to, uh, to not want to do that. My mom is one of those people that claim to have not thrown up for like something like 25 years or something like at one point. Mm. So I don't know about that. She, I know. She's probably full of toxins. <laughs> probably full of toxins. How to else the, are you getting them out? To the brim. All those. Uh, <laughs> Does those. she even cleanse, bro? Mm. Ugh. You know, I'm, I've been drinking kombucha. Is that a, yeah. is, is that a city you, thing? Has kombucha you, made it to Pensacola? <laughs> kombucha is in Pensacola. <laughs> My question would be, are you making it or buying it? Oh, no, I'm terrified of making it. I should, I probably should because it's incredibly expensive and uh, it's not a cost-effective treat at all. I mean, it's like four bucks or one of those things. Yeah, I've had both homemade and store-bought. And, um, well, mm. actually, they were all pretty good. Yeah, it's, I, I turned my nose up at kombucha for years uh, as some sort of like a frou-frou-y, like overpriced uh, uh, health nut drink or whatever. Um, but really, you take a, um, it's a, it's fizzy. It tastes like ginger beer, the one I like just as a ginger. And uh, I, I'm not there for the passion fruit or the, there's one that's called uh, uh, tantric. That's not, I don't know. What? That's what it says on the, on the, on the glass. Or you didn't the, go further than that. I didn't, that, I didn't, I you know what? I I probably drink it too fast, um, <laughs> but I just get the ginger one, and it's like a ginger soda, except it has like one eighth the amount of sugar of like a ginger beer, and uh, yeah, it's like a it's an it's an adult soda that I can't I don't have to feel terrible about drinking. So there's something to be said for that. Ah, yeah. And how is your um, gut microbiome? I don't have any idea. I'm this man. This we're already we've talking about throwing up, and we're doing we're talking about throwing up and and pooping, but not in the context of children, which is kind of remarkable. Uh, I assume well, I assume I mean, my, my microbiome is is uh, top notch. I think it's a you know it's a it's a model microbiome. It's a textbook situation down there. I guess. I mean they <laughs> they say that we're just sort of moving planets for whole civilizations of little, uh, you know, bacteria. And depending on which set you have, it helps or hurts. I mean, they say that it extends what kind of uh, bacteria you have living in your uh, digestive tract affects, like, uh, well, your weight, your actual intelligence in some situations um obviously your general health and um comfort level but yeah i mean maybe they're the people and we're just the body i mean we we've already uh, all it takes to throw someone in an existential crisis is make them to listen to a radio station that plays the music from more than one country all in a row uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've read that book. The, uh, there's a, um, and of course I can't remember the name of it, but I did read a book about that. We did it for our little book club at work where we read books occasionally and talk about them. And they, they did the, uh, we did the one, um, from a few years ago about this specific thing where they talk about, and see, I'm very qualified because I can, I've read one book on the topic and I can't remember the name of it. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the that the, the idea that you're fifty percent bacteria, like the ratio oh. stacks up that there's like as much bacteria as there are cells of you. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, if we're just going by quantity or maybe percentage, I mean, 
like an elephant's several hundred percent of me, like as a separate entity. Does an elephant is an elephant fifty percent bacteria? I mean, you're not fifty percent elephant, so I don't really see what the. I mean, we're talking like <laughs> we're talking. You're you're comparing two different I've, countries, and I'm we're not talking about quality like, versus quantity here. Okay. Well, I'm I'm thinking like ratio. are my thinking parts bacteria? Oh, oh, mm. I don't know. Like uh, the the book pointed out, and that the the actual medical textbooks even acknowledging. Uh, good bacteria is only a couple of decades old. And before that, we just sort of assumed that bacteria was bad. Um, kind of like how we just threw antibiotics at people for for a few decades there, but until we realized that we were making super We should have been ingesting them. Oh, yeah. Uh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like, no, kill everything. Um, and then, <laughs> then everything starts mutating or adapting or whatever. And we realize we're killing good stuff and bad stuff. Medicine is very distressing. <laughs> Welcome, all you bacteria buildings. Let's get back to the Inuit soundtrack of 1985. <laughs> uh, um, I was looking at. Uh, so we went to the library um, for a um, for a, a petting, a, an animal petting thing that I will describe in a minute because it was so. So, such a great experience, like an actual legitimately great experience. But Archer, um, as we were walking there, was asking me about parts of the body. And I was I was starting to describe the circulatory system and the digestive system and the, uh, you know, the, your, your body's defenses and all of this other stuff. And uh, so we got to the library and I just picked up some kid's book about the body. And, you know, I was showing him the actual heart diagram and all that kind of stuff. And uh, this particular book, which was aimed at, you know, I don't know, eight to 10 year olds or whatever, uh, they had a whole section on your body's defenses. And there's a whole section on a little kid who was uh, in the 80s who uh, had no, no immune system whatsoever and had to grow up inside like a plastic cube where he like uh, touched people through those, you know, those like gloves that are attached to the side of a box in like a lab. Yeah. Bubble boy. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bubble boy situation. I, I'm not sure if there have been many bubble boy situations. And frankly, when you say bubble boy, I think of balloon boy, which is kind of a different thing. Uh, balloon boy being like that f fake situation from a couple of years ago. Remember that? I don't know. Balloon boy. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's no, no. not the same thing as Bubble Boy. I, I I'm following your. So I'm like talking to Archer, and we're looking at this thing, and uh, the Bubble Boy segment in this child's book uh, ends with they tried to like give Bubble Boy a uh, injection of white blood cells when he was like 14, and he died like a month later. And then the segment Yikes. just ends. I know, I know. I was like, well, um, <laughs> this is very rare. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the the segment really left me out to dry as a dad um i didn't mean to like drop us off a cliff and the and this like half well, page thing son, it's like nature is cruel any other questions <laughs> yes. the tale of bubble boy everybody gather around <laughs> bubble boy died when he was 14 the end <laughs> you have a couple more good years son <laughs> So on a on a actual nice note, the um, the reason that we went there was we saw a random flyer uh, for uh, a, 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 a petting like an exotic petting situation at the at the library. Uh, mm -hmm. It said like wear a chinchilla, and I was like, I'll wear a chinchilla. I don't know what that means, but I've never even seen a chinchilla. Let's do this. Like a hat made out of a chinchilla. Well, yeah, exactly. Actually, it turns out. Um, so we, we went to this uh, event, and this is just like a public, uh, you know, public library event, free, walked in. There was uh, probably a dozen kids there, uh, and we all sat in a big circle, and some folks from the zoo brought out an absolute nonstop parade of cool animals for like an hour as an adult. I, w I was, like, completely thrilled the whole time. I don't even really you, like animals. You, you were just sort of, like, shoving yourself to the front of the petting line? Well, what's funny is they uh, they asked, they set all the chairs in a big circle. This is, like, a, you know, 30, 40-foot wide room. And uh, so we, we they required that all, you could tell these people were pros um, because they asked the adults to sit in chairs and the children to sit on the floor and Throughout the event, throughout the hour, if a child was on a chair, 
um, they immediately asked them to sit on the floor. Like these people were not messing around. They were very nice about <laughs> it. But you know, there's like, there's a way to run a room if you're like a teacher or you're like, mm-hmm. a, you know, a professional running in a, in a, a, an event. And I, I was like, I see you, you <laughs> zoo people. You know what you're doing. Um, they, they kept those kids off the chairs and they kept the adults in them. It was good. Um, but we, Did uh, we ever discover why? Huh? No. What? Why? The it's it's a system. It's a it's a um it's just a system. Yeah, it's a system for keeping the, a room in order. Like it's okay. it's just good good uh good technique. If you're gonna if you're gonna like establish a rule like that, you hold to the rule. You make sure everybody knows who's in charge. It's good. Like they're pros, is what I'm saying. All right. So we sat there and we didn't know what to expect. And in the course of an hour. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to forget one, but in the course of an hour, we saw a uh, an anteater uh, that walked around the room. We all got to pet an, an anteater. Uh, a little, uh, like a potbelly pig ran around and like ate food out of everyone's hands. Um, they brought out two or three uh, chinchillas, which it, I didn't realize a chinchilla is like the size of like a large rabbit. I thought a chinchilla was like the size of a gerbil or something. Um, but they're large uh, and they sat them on people's heads. And I have a picture of my children with chinchillas on their heads. So they are like docile or yeah, they're just, they just hang out. It's just really, are they chill. like tribbles? They are very tribblish. Actually. They have uh, apparently I'm the, uh, the like science fun fact that we got that was more directed to the kids. So I don't know if this is 100% scientifically accurate, but they said <laughs> that for every one hair on your head, a chinchilla has 50 so they have like what? very very fine hairs. It, it was the softest animal I've ever petted. They're soft, very soft. And we can have these as pets or no? I I mean I I don't know where a chinchilla might be more toward like you know how people have like a sugar gliders as pets. Yeah, and they're super cute, but also you probably shouldn't have a sugar glider as a pet. Really, like they're not. Yeah, like, I read something like. Every time they do things we think are cute, it's really them being scared nearly to death. <laughs> right, exactly. They're constantly freaking out and super out of their element, but we're like, look how big their eyes are in proportion to the rest of them. That means they're cute. <laughs> they're like, life is pain. <laughs> <laughs> so so these all, all these animals seemed like life was great, by the way. They, all of okay. them across the board. Let's see, there was, a, there was a sloth. He was sort of the finale. Um, he was in a basket <laughs> the, I, I've seen a sloth on many a nature video and they are very slow and very laid back, but it, she literally brought out the, the, one of the zookeepers brought out a laundry basket with a blanket in it and like sort of like filling the laundry basket. And then there was just a lid over the blanket or like a, um, another blanket or something over the top. She took it off and the sloth was just like in there, like someone had like, Someone had taken, it, it would be like if you took like a sloth uh, rubber figurine that was like spread eagle and you took him and you pushed him down into the basket, like face up. That's kind of how the sloth looked. <laughs> he was just in there <laughs> with all four limbs pointing at the sky and his head just sort of pointing at the sky. Like, just like hadn't moved since they put him in there an hour ago. Totally not. Just like 100% the most laid back like thing that's ever been in a basket. Uh, and they, uh, let's see what other animals there was a, um, barn owl that, um, that you did not get to touch the barn owl, but it did fly across the room to its cage. And I flew across the room. Yeah. He was like trained. Those things are big. Yeah. It's a, uh, well, barn owls like not, this one was not like huge. Um, owls are incredibly creepy to me though. Uh, so it was big enough. Um, I did not realize that owls do not make sound when they fly. Do you know this? Yeah, like they're the stealth aircraft. Yeah, I boy, I, again, as an adult, I mean, the whole I don't time know I was I've... so excited about all this stuff. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> every fact they're dropping out, Cam's audibly gasping. <laughs> My goodness. No. I was, I was. Take. I was taking. It felt good to be in a situation where, as a parent, you're like taking photos of everything, but you're also like, you feel completely justified. It's not like my kid is eating a sandwich. Funny. I'm gonna take 50 pictures of them in a restaurant. It's an actual situation where you're like, this is a singular experience. My child has a, a chinchilla on their head. What? 
I didn't expect that. Um, let's see, what animal am I forgetting, Archer? Oh, the um, snakes. Yeah. What did you have another one? Um, something about the owl. Oh, what? Oh, Archer got to. Okay. All right. See you later, buddy. Archer um, he, fed the owl a mouse. <laughs> I did. Um, I was reminded of a, a fact about an owl that I had forgotten entirely, which is that our owls don't poop. Um, it's they the, just like vomit up bones. They vomit up those little pellets. They vomit up pellets. So is that real? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. They have a two stomach or two chambered stomach or something like that. And uh they they uh they basically poop out their mouths South Park style. Okay, I'm going to have to cross reference this quote zoo experience. <laughs> and then he's like, and then they brought in a giraffe. Did you know giraffes aren't really tall? They're only like three feet and we always see a weird perspective by bushes. Here's a bird. What poops out its mouth? <laughs> <laughs> hey, city folk. Guess what? <laughs> hey, idiots. Hey, what's you drinking your kombucha? Look up here. No, they weren't They weren't country folk. I don't, I don't know why I went there. Um uh, so the, uh, there was a snake, uh, there were two snakes. The, so the snake experience was already a lot. Like I, I'm not, I'm not afraid of snakes, but I, uh, would rather not be near a snake just in general. Just, it's more of a intense preference, I think. Well, um, I did just read a, uh, intro on a study that said, they think that humans have a specific group of neurons that are only activated by snake-like objects because our ancestors uh, were so predated by snakes or like they were the greatest danger in, well, they have a lot of theories, but maybe like a tree canopy, that Mm. we have a specific identification system for snakes so we can identify them before most other objects. Now, what you do with that info is up to you. Sounds like you're moderating your reaction pretty I, well. I'm trying. I, I When you describe it like that, I can feel I can feel the lizard brain fire off like there's a gland somewhere that never excretes in my in my system and then when i see a snake like the two or three times i've seen one in the wild like you see a bug or a spider and your your reaction might be whoa that's a really big spider but there is a specific sort of like oh shit a snake (laughs) sort of feeling (laughs) yeah like most things i'm like do i see movement i'm like hey what's that yeah but just the other day i'm walking in the yard and it was like the sheath to my kid's plastic samurai sword or something. Mm-hmm. But it was just laying in the grass, and my eye crossed over it, and, and I sort of was like immediately dukes up, sort of, what's that type of situation. So It's a deeply, un, like, it's a deeply unsettling thing to see like a snake going through the grass. Like nothing about it seems natural um, to me. So these snakes are like the they pulled out four or three like a you know python some sort of snake that just sits there and they're probably 5 feet long and about as big around as like a baseball bat you know like these are not small snakes and they're carrying them around the room and like uh they put one on on what they asked if any kids want wanted to have a snake on them and Archer, of course, is like, hell no, I do not want a snake on me. <laughs> and Felix is like, put all the snakes on me. Let's do this. So I have a picture of Felix <laughs> with a snake around her shoulders where the snake is almost reaching the floor on either side of her. And so I had, at one point I had gotten up and like walked around to the other side of her to get pictures and stuff. So at that point, I was like, there was there were two adults holding snakes in between me and like my family in my chair. And I realized that I uh, did that, that that was happening and I needed to go around said snakes. And I, there was a moment where I was going around one person holding a snake and then I was unexpectedly blocked off. Like the other person stepped up in front of me with another snake. And for a moment I felt not good. (laughs) (laughs) This is Cameron and Brock between two snakes. (laughs) I, I, 
I realized I actually like turned around and went the other way around the person with the snake, like and went and sat down. I like felt a little bit like they're like, sir, can you just get back in your chair? <laughs> yeah, it was. I I sat down and I was like, mm, I'm okay. I'm apparently a little bit afraid of snakes because the feeling that I just had when I was unexpectedly like cornered by a snake. <laughs> Granted, I was not cornered by the snake. I was cornered by an incredibly passive snake being held by someone. <laughs> Look, I think you're doing well. I see you still have that instinct, but you're handling it. Right. And I think some people have I lost certain survival instincts, which I don't know is great. I mean, you can get by. But like people, I think we've talked about it, somebody free climbing a cliff wall. They've lost some kind of survival instinct. Oh, we haven't talked um, about that. That's it. I, that's not the direction you were going. I thought you were going to be like people on their couches watching TV can't make fire anymore. But you're t- you're saying no, that no, like, no. like I mean, uh, I'm talking instinct. Like you should be afraid of certain things. How uh, do you deal with that fear? That sounds normal. I see. Yeah, there's a um, so you want to land in that middle ground where you're addressing and maybe even feeling or responding to that fear. Um, but you don't want to address it or so far that you lose sight of the fear entirely. Like maybe you shouldn't be on a cliff face kind of thing. Someone, yeah, someone should tell that to Tom be. Cruise. Are you saying that Tom Cruise is the least like uh, in touch with his, his humanity of any human? Because I could probably Tom get that. Tom Cruise is not human. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> that, hmm. Lizard person? I don't know. I haven't decided. He's full of the- thetans, whatever it is. Packed full. Just like... <laughs> To the brim, <laughs> solid thetan. Um, what? Uh, what? There was a couple other animals, and I that I feel I would feel amiss. Uh, we, the, apparently, tarantula was on the flyer, but we did not see a tarantula. Archer, did I forget any animals? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. Okay, I remember. They brought out two picnic baskets. By the way, all the animals came out in like not animal cages, which was really funny. It's probably practical and also just like modern zookeeping that animals aren't kept in like wire cages anymore uh but are they kept in tupperware something's (laughs) almost like like i said the bat like the laundry basket with the blanket in it you know like the sloth was hella comfortable um but they (laughs) we're gonna have like palaquins just sort of (laughs) being trout tramped out here and just the silken uh, curtains removed and then there's like a sloth lounging with a bundle of grapes right they're feeding him grapes and waving a palm frond um, the uh, the the um, early on like after we saw the I think the chinchillas were the opener and then they brought ah. out two uh, two uh, picnic baskets and I'm like what could possibly be in these picnic baskets what well, turned out one picnic basket was full of baby chicks and the other was full of baby ducks talking like a dozen baby chicks and a dozen baby ducks. And that I was like, that was the moment that I realized that we were, we were, we were in it. It was happening because I've never seen a picnic basket full of baby ducks in my life, much less had someone be like, reach in, have a baby duck. <laughs> All right. Hold on. My son has been tapping me for about the last 20 minutes. What? You remember something else from the, this is sort of relevant to him. So I feel like, um, I suppose it's only fair. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll remember those two things. Now, no more tapping me during the podcast. Um, he, he remembered two more things that are actually both notable. Um, one, are, one is that uh, the owl, uh, so it was on like a gauntlet, you know, one of those like medieval leather, like, yeah, to definitely. me, hawk sort of gauntlets. <laughs> uh, and uh, Archer got to... Uh, quote unquote, fly the owl um, back where when they flew it into the um, cage, he got to reach up and like hold on to the edge of the gauntlet. And then she actually commanded the owl. Like verbally? Yeah. She said, ooh, in like this really specific sort of like, (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) It was like a whoo. And then she said, ready. And when she said ready, the owl like, prepped for flight like it it went from being like you know sitting there to like it put its tail up and it like got its feathers ready and she gave it like a ready set go and on go it flew across the room into the to the cage and i actually the, the as an amazing bonus because my son was 
the one that was chosen to fly said owl. They took my phone over to the cage and got a slow motion video of the owl flying into the cage like uh like nature documentary style on my phone. I'll have to send it to you. I don't know Completely if I'll silent. have to send it to your wife because it's a, one of those Apple things where the slow motion video usually doesn't send. Ah, uh, uh, but she has an right. Apple thing, right? Anyway, she's got one of those things. So uh, the last thing, oh, and this is this will conclude the the fun nature trip to story segment of our podcast, <laughs> I guess. Uh, there, uh, so that. Right. So I had just experienced this sort of uh, self-awakening, but not in a super great way that I um, maybe was not a fan of snakes. Uh, I, I can't remember. I mean, I think I've seen a snake out of a cage like two times in my whole life. Like I've seen a couple of like rat snakes in the backyard or whatever for a second. So like they, they put away the uh, three sort of, you know, three, four inch wide pythons or whatever. And then they wheeled out a full size garbage can, like a, like an industrial, like a cafeteria garbage can. And, and you're like, it's full of sloths. Yeah, well, the sloth was later. This was still the snake segment is the thing. Oh, okay. It was a large container. And I was like, I, what's in this container this is opaque, big gray round garbage can. <laughs> Turns out what was in the container was a eh, 15-foot Burmese python, maybe. And they they uh, carried it. That could have eaten any child in that room. See, well, yeah. I mean, I, do pythons, are they constrictors or is that a boa constrictor? I don't... Not, yeah, pythons constrict, right? Are they going to constrict or are they going to like hinge their jaw? Well, I guess they still have to hinge their jaw Both. at some point. Okay, yeah. Man, snakes. Snakes and owls. Not Not a fan of either one. Um, but, uh, this, yeah, this huge Python, they pulled that out and then they asked who wanted to hold the Python. And again, my son, and actually weirdly, every boy in the room was like, no. And so the, <laughs> the picture that I have is of Felix and about uh, seven or eight other kids all standing in a line uh, holding this giant Python. Uh, I mean, this thing was like, you know, eight, nine inch diameter. I mean, I'm now uh, can snakes be trained? They strike me as one of those things that just sort of does what it does. And that creeps me out. Yeah. I, 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 th- maybe, maybe they like, maybe it's chilled or something like they, they have it slowed down in the back. <laughs> like <laughs> literally chilled. Yeah. Okay. Maybe, it, maybe there's ice in the bottom of that trash can. I didn't ask about any of the logistics. Um, I, uh, I, I I was so like uh, taken off guard by the amount and the amount of animals they brought out and the the speed in which they did it. Like they didn't mess around at all. They weren't like now let's spend ten minutes with this felt board talking about how snakes eat their food or something. No, this event was like we got an hour. Let's get down to business. We got a dozen exotic animals in the back, and you're gonna basically be able to pet hold. Or hold all of them except for the owl, like it was. And the pie, and, and the giant python is just so cold. <laughs> it, but it's like I'm so hungry. I would imagine Must it's not hungry. Eat. <laughs> I would hope all of these animals were very not hungry, except for the pig. The pig was super hungry. He ran around the room and ate food out of everybody's. Well, at least uh, you dodged the tarantula situation. I, you know, I would have been okay with the tarantula situation. Shannon was. Shannon actually does have a legitimate like fear of spiders. Um, and she was really, yeah, no, she, uh, intensely dislikes spiders. Uh, that is a, I can't describe, or I, that's one of those things that makes me think I'm not really in charge of my phobias. Like spiders by all accounts should be horrifying, but they don't bother me hardly at all. Whereas something like a roach, I would burn down my entire house to kill. (laughs) I can't explain by in Florida. I feel like roaches cool. just come with the territory. I'm just constantly at a base level of anxiety. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's also <laughs> also a, a important part of living in Florida, just in general. It's um, true. Well, you got to look out for yourself. I think I think that uh, there is there's two types of fear. There is the like um, sort of like quantifiable. You know, all of the characteristics of this thing add up to something that is gross. Sort of fear. Where I'm just like a slug. I don't want to step step on a slug. That's really gross. Or like a, uh, you know, there there's there's 
tons of that kind of thing. Uh, but then there's another deeper sort of like, I don't have a lot of control over not my, or my rationality of like, I will continue walking past this person with the snake went out the window <laughs> and I took a 180 and had a mini panic attack <laughs> in order to get away from what was becoming. I was two out of four walls, uh, in walled in by snakes, <laughs> you know, at that moment. <laughs> I could have said, oh, excuse me, and just like slid past them. But no, you know, there was something, no. something kicked in there that I didn't know about. Uh, there, it's, it's called fight or flight. So your alternative was to start punching the snake. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take the snake from her and fling it across the room. See, that would have involved... Everybody run! That would have involved touching the snake, uh, which I'm not, not a fan of. It is of. just you running out of the room now, full of children. I'm I'm starting to um yeah I know that we've already already had the world's greatest museum idea um and that's that's um documented fully in a previous episode but now it's currently in litigation somewhere oh yeah I mean uh, uh, the topmen are on it topmen um the uh, now I'm starting to think about this idea that while uh, we as a people in a modern society might be in touch with our um, maybe we've gotten back in touch with our, our gut bacteria. Maybe we've gotten back in touch with our, right. our, our joints and our bodies through maybe some yoga, maybe some Pilates. Maybe you've gotten back in touch with your, uh, inner self through some meditation. There's many, many avenues that are Netflix uh, binging, Netflix binging. There's uh yeah, you've gotten back in touch with your ability to, uh, to, uh, focus on one thing for more than five seconds. Uh, you, yeah. you put your phone across the room and watched an entire season of, 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 uh, Fast Man or whatever the latest you know, punch guy. Um, but uh, what's his name? Iron Fist. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> I like both of your previous attempts better than their actual Sure. I was show. trying to think of The Flash and then... Um, Fast Man and Punch Guy. I mean, that's essentially their power is just he punches. Um, the But... I think that maybe what one avenue that people in of in are in are in some ways very enlightened age uh, it, uh one thing that people aren't in touch with is uh is their their sort of uh base fears like their uh the the that part of them that makes them them human or like maybe their awareness like I was unaware that I was uh that fundamentally afraid of snakes and I feel like I've learned something important about myself so what if we, I mean, that we could, we could have a full spectrum of this kind of, these kind of experiences and people could come in and sort of find out like where. Wh- so it's a phobia museum yeah. where you find out which phobias you have and confront the ones you know you have, or do you have to confront the ones you I, know you have? I mean, this is a voluntary museum. Um, I think, I mean, I guess we could talk about that, but like the, uh, I don't know if people are going to come here on purpose. You know, I you say that, but I'm thinking of Universal Studios does their uh, does their uh, horror nights, where, yeah, where they they um, and Shannon's been to the horror nights because she's big into horror things. Right night, um, horror nights to me sounds like uh, the worst experience possible, where you're not able to just walk in and out of a haunted house or what have you. You're actually trapped in an entire area that is intended to scare you for hours on end. And there's no, uh, no uh, light at the end of that tunnel, I guess. Um, and everything is scary all the time. Um, but it's scary in a very non uh, sort of irrational way. Like there's not a, uh, right. And know? it's not educational at all. No, and I would like to think most of the things that we, make horror movies into most of the things that are effective about them are sort of an abstraction of all of these base fears that are built into our like circuitry brain circuitry so our museum is educational we're stripping that away and saying hey this is going to horrify you here's why yeah, I mean the so the right like I, I'm at horror nights and there's a man in ghoul makeup and there's a vampire and a werewolf or I don't know when it sounded like a 1920s horror museum, uh, but the uh, <laughs> those things that you know what all of the things that all of the things that 
could scare you in a base level on this planet, they're already here. I don't need to, a guy to wear makeup for that. I can, I can put a snake in someone's lap. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's not mess around here. We're not, we're not, we, we have access to the actual scary things they, that actually exist in the world. We don't have to invent fictional scary things. Okay, so you've got snakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, spiders, I suppose. You got your scorpions. Um, maybe some. Maybe some. I mean, you put somebody in the water. All of a sudden, a lot of things that are sort of abstractly scary become like directly scary. Um, right. So they don't. Do they walk into a room full of water, or are they sort of walking through the exhibit and the floor just sort of? falls away and then they're in the water oh goodness well the lights go out and then they see dim shapes sort of swim by them i you know we're we're replicating every avenue of of the human experience and not in a not in a uh like sort of fantasy or fictional way just the real human experience so i think we've got literally the full spectrum of of things that could have killed you thousands of years ago um, on the table here, like maybe there's a section where you're in ankle deep water that's opaque, uh, maybe, the, maybe or maybe like slightly opaque, and then there's snakes in there. Mm, snakes, definitely. Yeah, and now we we will put uh, there will be protective equipment on you or uh, the snakes. The snakes have been defanged or something. Maybe? Yeah, maybe or they're just full. <laughs> <laughs> we just we fed them. Just don't step on them. Right, yeah, don't, don't antagonize. I mean, there's obviously um, whatever uh, we learn about waivers and whatever army of lawyers we get for the fire <laughs> museum are going to become very in handy for this museum as well. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely going to be a second effort right. where we're uh, prepared. Yeah, I mean, the fire setting things on fire is sort of a very static challenge. The, now we're, ta- uh, we're talking about like beings and you've got you know, support systems for keeping track of all these animals and things like that. Not that it has to just be animals. But. No, not at all. I mean, so um, some of my personal phobias include, well, really, I have two, claustrophobia and fear of heights. Now, the fear of heights is not so debilitating that I was just recently at a condo this weekend, and um, it was like the 13th floor, and there was a balcony, and the railing was... Uh, you know, of a uh, legally approved height. But as beautiful as it is, there's this constant base-level Florida-type anxiety inside me about how easy it would be to fall over there. So I can handle that. Claustrophobia, I'm a little less cool with. And I don't know how we could make those educational. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, this isn't, again, the education is just learning about yourself. We don't have to teach you about claustrophobia. You are going to learn what about what your body has to tell you about claustrophobia. Right. So height, fear of heights I get because it's the proximity or it's the, um, I think of it this way. It's the removal of many steps of action between you and death. So in most situations, death is not one action away. It's many actions away. And you feel like there's something you can enact between action one and five that will prevent five from occurring. Heights, it's one action death. And that definitely is the fear there. Claustrophobia, I am not sure I do understand. I, Um, hmm. I, I think I... Claustrophobia is strange to me because it is also like uh, it tends to you tend to think of like being in a cave and I already think of being in a cave is very weird. Like if you stop and think about what's happening, like with the, um, you know, the the cave rescue recently, they were um, like you go underground, like you're just in the earth now. Like, you know what I'm saying? I sound. Are you saying why are people doing this? I just think that it, it's a strange thing to to think about that you are now inside the planet rather than on top of it, uh, and like it doesn't matter really once you're in a cave whether there's like a foot of ground above you or 300 feet of ground above you. You're just in Earth now. Could it be the fear of not being able to escape 
danger yeah, maybe, at some level? I would say claustrophobia is definitely like, uh, it could be, but that's the thing. That's the thing about all of this is that there, like we could have a cave section. We could have a section where the walls are literally slowly closing in on you. Star Wars trash compactor oh, style. Oh, yeah, that would be good. So it's yeah. because How it's, about it's something the, where it's not obvious. Like it's like it malfunctioned and you can't get the door open. Right. And like you a, thought like it was a waiting yeah. room. You know how they move people through waiting rooms for certain rides at amusement parks. Mm-hmm. And so it seems overcrowded, but you know, they're just going to open the next door, but it doesn't open. Well, our, par- our park, get smaller. our theme park, which is increasingly sounding more like a, like a lab experiment <laughs> than a theme park, but <laughs> oh, there'll be infrared cameras everywhere. So we can, uh, uh <clears throat> monitor the guests. Well, I mean, we're going to need like to be able to bust down any sort of door or wall and save someone from themselves in any kind of situation. I'm not above that. We need to, <laughs> we need to make sure people make it out of this thing. But it's there for you to answer these questions. So like, why are you claustrophobic? Is it because you are uh, because you are afraid of the lack of options or escape? Is it because you're afraid of being crushed to death? Is it aff- because you're afraid of like suffocating? Like these are like all of these are all, we could have like uh, basically different claustrophobia yeah. experiences. So you sign up for the claustrophobia. And we're segment. tracking. Yeah, yeah, we're tracking you individually with facial recognition and you know some AI tools with cameras, mm-hmm. and we're monitoring your reactions to all of the different situations we put you in and then you get a report at the end you're right and then all of a sudden you're like why am i claustrophobic well it says right here i'm afraid of getting crushed to death and then <laughs> you can frame that and put it on your wall um and then like uh the the i'm very with you on the fear of heights i do not like heights for the exact same reason it's not that i get vertigo um shannon gets vertigo she discovered um when we were in scotland like scotland has large hills that don't have trees on them which are Mm -hmm. very strange to look at if you're like halfway up a hill and you're looking over at another hill like it doesn't oh it's disorienting yeah it throws off your um your depth of field because there's uh it looks like a pre-render of a video game unless you can like see a person or a tree or something to scale what you're looking at it just feels very weird and she was she like discovered that gave her vertigo um, I don't have that. I have what you have, which is the the immediacy of one bad decision killing you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also why I don't particularly like, I love the train system. I don't particularly like standing there as the train comes up unless I'm very far from the track for the exact same reason. You're like, oh, I could just like hop this way and die. <laughs> like, right, you know? exactly. And uh, so the, the um, however, I think that there are a number of reasons that somebody could be afraid of heights. It could be the vertigo thing, uh, in which case we could like maybe like put a, a safety strap or six on you and sort of like lean you out over a cliff and see what happens. Uh, so are we going to use VR for any of this or is oh, no. that sort of not part of the spirit of the museum? This is a fully analog experience, my friend. Okay, good, yeah. good. And the uh, maybe maybe what you're afraid of is the like immediacy of being able to jump off. Maybe we put you. Maybe it's the railing. Like you ever think about railings? I'm not. I constantly want like, that we trust them with our lives. Yeah, I, there's a few things that I am um, constantly when I really think about it, surprised that work and give me faith in just like humanity as a self-governing sort of self-interested life form. Uh, one is standing in line for one is being on an airplane uh, and one like for hours, you know, everyone's like, you know, we sat on the tarmac for four hours and like, it's amazing to me that a hundred people can sit in a tarmac for four hours and no one like got killed. Um, and like, <laughs> no one got in fight. Well, one, usually. Yeah. Usually one, one is the uh, two lane highways where you go, you're going past one another. Cars are passing oh, yes. each other at like, 120 combined miles an hour, two feet away, all day, and, uh, all day and night long, and and it generally doesn't result in deaths. Like you know, statistically. One time I was driving down, uh, amusing anecdote. I was driving down the interstate, uh, in I-10, and the uh, so it's two lanes one way, two lanes the other, and the other 
way had been on the other side of sort of a tree break, so I couldn't even see it, and it was a little foggy. And I saw what I thought was headlight or uh, taillights, but I was like, oh, those are white. And before I knew it was happening and I was in the right lane, a guy flies by on the left lane like he's on a two-lane road going the other way 70 miles an hour. That is terrifying. Right. Well, very terrifying. But in his own way, he thought he was in the right lane. He was staying over there, you know, so I survived. Jeez, so the, the the social contract of not running into each other on a road remarkable to me. So there, the, another one is railings. Uh, it's just you, there's railings everywhere, and that's all. All it takes is a railing all, all the time. Like there's, you know, you go into like a. Uh, I'm not even talking about like the top of a building. I mean like you know like an embassy suites. You know how those things are like a ring shaped around. Yeah, and yeah. there's just like railings for days for you know thirty stories. And a waist high thing, and people lean against them and look down because I don't understand why. <laughs> because and, I don't know why. Yeah, and so so maybe you know maybe we put you on on an edge with a very like a comically short railing, just like and we have you lean on it and find out you know you find out if it's the railing thing, if it's the the immediacy of death, or um, and this isn't necessarily my specific fear, but the fear of getting pushed off. Right, like ah, if you know, there's no safety there. Right, or it's it's not just that the there's it's one step from death. It's one step from death that you and that step might actually be uh, not controllable by you. Like I've never thought mm-hmm. of that, but I could see someone who thinks they have fear of heights. Really, what they have is a fear of like other people. Um, you know what I mean? And we can find that uh, out we, by by pushing people off of cliffs in our yes, museum. Yeah, I agree. Um, should we have harnesses, or should there be like one of those giant airbags at the bottom of the cliff? I think you're going to have to. If if you really, mm, there might be tiers to this, and obviously these are all potentially upsells and profit margin uh, bonuses and things like that. Um, you could have the big tramp, the big uh, balloon with the target on it uh, down below, or if you really want to, um, the full nine. No harness, and then like a well, you could have like a net that like f- slips out, you know, like as you're falling, you know. So you're when the yeah, moment that you mm, fall, I like that one, yeah, because it's it's more real, but it's a little safer. It's a you know, there is a net, and it will come out, and like obviously, uh, it we will, uh, it's in both of our best interests as a business and you as a visitor for the net to come out. So we sort of have a shared goal there. Yeah, um, I mean, you signed. Every right you have away, so right. But we also have PR to worry about. Oh, um, definitely. So, so the but like that gives you the first, let's say, thirty percent of your your sort of trip to the net uh, is is pure before the net comes out. You have that. We can't flash your whole life before your eyes because, I mean, we got to get the, you know the hydraulics can only go so fast. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> But we give you as much. I want an airbag under the net just in case. I, I mean, we, maybe we maybe we have an airbag and it's like disguised or something. Like there, there are ways to I do this. I think some of these reports are going to be sounding more like you have now developed a fear of other people. <laughs> uh, that is a concern, I suppose. That our mu- our fear discovery museum could be more of a fear creation museum. Um, so how do we test people's? Um, fear of others like we talked about the amazing fact that humans as a uh, an animal are remarkably okay with strangers in in close spaces like we don't get in fights with each other even though uh right most other animals can't handle that so how do we test someone's latent fear of strangers I think that um, so you're you're going from segment to segment in this museum, right? Like there's a uh, there's a there's a height segment, there's a dark segment, there's a water segment, there's a you know various forms of malevolent nature. Uh, you know, there, there's sub segments, I guess, in there. And I think that um, the the social segment, like the interpersonal sort of suspicion segment, I think that what the only way to really make that work. Um, is you have to, you can't just put somebody in a room with somebody who's scary because I mean, that's more or less what like a, 
like a haunted uh like a, a haunted maze is gonna do it's like oh i'm in a room mm-hmm. with a guy with a, ch- a chainsaw this happened to me one time and it was terrifying the guy's running at me with a chainsaw and of course the chainsaw has no blade he clearly and it's, a, it's fun you harm yeah right? that's not that's too straightforward like i i I, I think that the fear of like the suspicion of your fellow man requires you to check an extra box on sign up that just says like give Ooh. me give me the social the social fear uh, sort of like a bonus uh, sort of add on and what that's going to do for you is now as you're going through the museum there's a possibility that a guide, a staff member, maybe like a ringer, like one of the other people you think is guests. Mm-hmm. A plant. There's a plant. There's there's uh somebody's gonna take your wallet. You know, I mean like there are mm-hmm. things that are going to happen to like you. They're yeah, going I to th- experience you're gonna find out how if, how suspicious you are of your fellow man. First I like that we're charging extra because this is a little bit of a luxury plan because it requires more planning. It's more subtle. Right. Well. well, yeah, we only have so many specialists to go around. Right. No, no. And um, we we need a, extra money for the the large legal team we maintain. <laughs> or, um, <yeah. laughs> I Now that I'm thinking about it, the, it's not that we think thing, uh, other people will attack us for no reason. I think it is based on um, food, I would say food, but generally sustenance and mates, right? We're worried that some other group will try to take advantage of our resources, right? Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. Um, we could have a situation where, you know, uh, snacks are provided, but um, either somebody snatches the last snack out of your hand or there's never quite enough for you. Uh, we could mm-hmm. have a plant come hit on your partner. Um, oh, I see. You're, you're uh, getting way more human experience. And I, I was just thinking like pickpockets, but you're going deep. You're talking I'm trying like- to think about why we really do become hostile towards each other as animals is that we're worried about our resources being taken or being challenged. Mm. Not, our, our resources in terms of relationships, our resources in terms of actual food. Yes. Our, yeah, I mean, money. I, money. Right. Pickpocketing. Well, perfect. yeah, exactly. Like your resources in terms of like the actual things we're carrying. Um, yeah. Hmm. All right. I like this a lot. Let's see. What haven't we covered? There's, I mean, there's, I mean, honestly, like what was some, some of the things we'll have learned from the fire museum will be applicable here in terms of, uh, I mean, is fire. Oh yeah. A human fear. I find fire. The, I've talked to a couple of people, um, over the years who have had like, uh, their, their building burned down or like their apartment burned up or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I, in one particularly sad tale, um, a guy that I used to work with, uh, his apartment burned down and then they took all of the stuff they recovered from the fire and they put it, uh, they took it to wherever they take that stuff and he didn't go pick it up in time. And so they threw it all away. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's one of those things where when I, oh, you hear there, there's a certain type of bad news where you just don't know what to even say to someone. <laughs> um, it's like, that's like super duper awful. Um, but but the idea that like uh, of of some of fire just like it, it burning it, it's scary to me very, like it's very fundamental uh, you know we we go back to very I mean, basic you're fa- there is a fascination humans have with fire though. sure yeah but I'm talking about like uh, and I don't know that it's a phobia but then again. I, you know, maybe we have a, maybe, maybe this is another sort of bonus thing where you sign up for fire. Cause I feel like there's one of the phobias of fire is, is has to be like the room you're in starting to burn down or something like right. that. I think it's controlled. Controlled fire is very interesting. As soon as it's something that you can't control, it becomes a danger like anything else. Right. But the only re- only way we can execute un- uncontrolled fire, I think, is to have sort of like maybe a second waiting room or like, you know, a couple of different branching paths where like the room you're in, you think you're getting ready to go to the room where you're pushed off a cliff, but actually the room you're in just start like somebody knocks over a, you know, a, a, I don't yeah. know, you know what I'm talking about? And then and that, it starts, the fire starts 
Yeah. The, the room actually starts burning from one side, and you all go to the doors on the other side, but the doors don't open immediately. Right. It's the uncontrolled. Uh, I feel like you have to um, execute uncontrolled fire in a way that actually gets straight to like a deep fear that someone might have. Boy, man, people are going to get so much value. I out agree. Of this the park. problem is that room's going to smell like fire immediately. They're um, going to be suspicious. Yeah, but I think, again, with the uh, fire museum, we will have had so much experience in terms of, like, disposing of and recreating segments <laughs> of a museum based on our previous museum being entirely about fire. <laughs> we'll, we'll We're just some, building new rooms We'll for have technology, exactly. Like, this room okay. is going to be made out of uh, the, a plaster. It's just going to be... It's The whole thing's just going to go Lessons up. Lessons learned. Yeah, exactly. We, we can slap together a new room in no time. That room that burned down in five seconds, we don't do that again. Maybe we put the room near the um, near the grill in the cafeteria. And it, so if you smell, you know, burning kind of smell, so you just think it's like burgers yeah, and or something. you escape into the cafeteria. Like, that's the sort of the path. Because we got to lead him through here and get some extra revenue. Oh, we haven't even talked about food phobias. Oh, yeah. I mean, would that be in the cafeteria or would we want the cafeteria to be a safe space. See, that's the problem with the, that's the, one of the challenges of this museum is that um, unexpectedness or things out of your control is such an important part of testing phobias. I feel like uh, much like uh, Halloween yeah. Horror Nights, Halloween Horror Nights, as far as I know, there are no safe spaces. You're just in but it. But you want to, you want people to think there will be so that the fear is real. Because right. like ha ha Halloween Horror Nights, you're sort of like it's a game and you're looking for the next scary thing, which is a little unavoidable in the fear museum. Right. But sometimes you want people to have that truly authentic experience where you think you're about to have one fear, then it's not, it's another or it's, it's more subtle. And in this case, you think that you're safe and then you're ready for the experiment. Right. Exactly. Like maybe I'm, you know, I'm in the waiting room for, uh, the area in which like things are maybe going to be dropped on my head or, you know, or whatever in the, uh, you know, that's, I mean, walking under heavy things that are dangling. I feel like that's a fear that comes to mind that I, I mean, I must have it or at least a little bit because I thought of it. Um, maybe you're in the waiting room for that fear and you're resetting because you've just been pushed off a building and that sort of like, uh, the, the pickled ginger that you have in between your, your bites of sushi. you you, you need a little bit of a palate cleanse, sort of a, like a, like a psyche reset, and we'll give you those. Those are safe spaces. But every once in a while, that room's going to get caught on fire because we have to. Yeah. We, we have to catch you on go off guard. Or like you go, you know, and you you want uh, you want some food, um, and maybe maybe you uh, maybe you're presented with like a a, a tray of mushrooms, and like you as a human, uh, uh, very yeah. human, and you're just right. Maybe you're given a book on how to identify mushrooms. Exactly. Well, hmm. or you are told. See, we're trying to. It depends on how authentic. Oh, we what about be for you're the, told at the right? You're, you're given like some kind of like me. initial spiel, like at the beginning, and much later, you're given a salad. And if you were listening, they had offhandedly mentioned that certain mushrooms are poisonous if they have X, Y, or Z. And you notice maybe some of the mushrooms in your salad look like that. Right, exactly. Like, and really, we're not going to actually cause people. I think that we sort of have to draw the line at like, we're not going to actually feed people poison mushrooms. What we'll do is uh, <laughs> we'll have to like uh, just kind of have someone come by, be like, look, here, you, you would have died. Like, that salad would have <laughs> right, killed you. Right. Or like nothing that you couldn't immediately have an antidote for. I oh, don't know I if see. there's such a mm. thing where they start feeling ill panic and then we're like hey buddy Just here's the antidote hit you with a little like a <laughs> like a dart from across the room <laughs> quickest oh, delivery you can feel your heart starting to palpitate and we just like <laughs> somebody jumps in and like slams you with a, like a uh needle in the arm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> boy that's uh i mean we'll we'll need some properly licensed professionals uh to accomplish that i don't know i think i would well, maybe I need a license, but I think I'd personally like to be the blow dart guy. I mean, I think that like, you know, you and I, we're like the uh, the guy with the cane with the amber with the um, oh, yeah. insect in it in Jurassic Park. You and I are just 
uh, you know, walking through our, our park and like maybe, maybe you're, the, you know, you take off your, your mask or your, your protective gear and they're like, Oh, professor Brock, <laughs> you know, cause at that point I'm assuming we're both going to just call ourselves professors and have sort of like dubious degrees from somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. They'll be honorary right. or from an untraceable source. They'll be eventually honorary. Like we got to work on <laughs> We'll eventually get those like fame-based degrees where someone's yeah, like, "Who's going to give us an honorary degree?" That's my question. Oh, uh, that Ben. Once you get famous enough, the places are just going to throw those at you. Like, uh, you'll, you'll, you know, you, oh, it's, you. It's like the uh, sports guys, or the the actor guys who like dropped out of college to go make it, and then thirty years later they're like, "Here, an honorary PhD." I don't know. We'll get one of those. You got to work your way. Okay. You, it's, I'm down for that. In, in a way, the honorary degree that you become famous enough to attain is totally earned, just in a sort of non-traditional way. And we are teaching them stuff, so professor seems accurate. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I, I think that people will come out of this museum having learned so much about themselves, and we'll give them a full report, of course. Um, will we have a counselor available <clears throat> for a fee? At the end of the museum. Oh, I think, you know, we just open... At that point, we give it to the free market. Like, you're going to leave this museum and just get... There's going to be a wall of oh, flyers. I got it. We partner with um, counselors mm -hmm. uh, for discounts. They, you know, pay us for the advertisement. And you give people coupons for uh, local counselors that have... <laughs> Paid for the advertisement. Maybe, Counselor, you know, you've you found out now or, you know, you either discovered or created um, an intense specific kind of fear. And we have special specialists or counselors that specialize in those particular fears. Um, really, at some point, we're creating business for the counselors by... Yeah, this is capitalist. Yeah, by... Exactly. We're This is a for-profit fear system. Um, where we're, we're causing, and really at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if, if the museum created the fear or if you realize the fear within yourself. The important thing is that there's more fear, uh, and, uh, and, right. and that provides more business for people who need to help you with that fear. Like everybody wins. I think that's a phobia in itself. <laughs>